0: Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors when it's time to get new windows or new door. You got to go with Pella. Why? Because they can provide window and door solutions to literally any home and because the people are great. Steve, Vince, Clint, Brian, the whole gang, everybody's a stud. And you know what? You're going to be working with Pella the entire time. Do you realize that when you work with some other window companies, all of a sudden questions pop up, like who's doing this? Who's installing that? Who's pre-finishing that? And before you know it, you're working with like four or five different people. Disaster. You want the convenience and simplicity of working with one company, not three or four. That's what you get with Pella. Check them out on the web. PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. On the pod today. Uh, So, Creighton basketball is doing really great athletics. I should say is doing this whole off season thing that they, I think they've teamed up with maybe first national bank. Uh, and they are doing coach player player uh, teammate, different things where they are interviewing each other, or having a conversation where they're getting questions from listeners and all that. I think Marcus Zagorowski and Greg McDermott did one. It was fantastic. But I was able to sit down social distancing style. Rass and I were like a long ways away from each other. But I was able to sit down with Rass, Bruce Rasmussen, Creighton Athletic Director. And Rass and I went for an hour. And we talked about a bunch of different things. We talked, first of all, picked his brain about you know what it's like to be an athletic director during a pandemic like this and, and all the decisions that are, are being thrown at him right now, what it's like for the student-athletes in particular at Creighton. And, uh, and and then we just went down memory lane With Creighton basketball, talked about Doug McDermott and Grant Gibbs and Dana Altman and and everything in between, man. We we went an hour on a variety of things. This was a blast. There isn't a guy I love more than Bruce Rasmussen. He's the best athletic director in the company, athletic director in the country, and he is a guy that I just I love talking to him, man. He's just he's he's got so much knowledge. He's got uh, so many interesting thoughts and opinions on things. And this guy's been a coach. He's been an athletic director for a long time. He's a wizard at hiring coaches and hiring people. I always think that's a window into people that really have a great grasp on life and, and people. Like, the, Rass is, uh, I mean, from Coach Booth to Dana to Greg McDermott to Ed Service to all, like Johnny Torres. to all, like he, he has done a really good job, Jim Flannery, hiring coaches. Uh, so he's just, he's been the chair of the NCAA tournament selection committee. So this guy's like, he's just, he, he's a great resource to lean on. So this was a ton of fun. I think you guys are going to enjoy this. It's just me and Rass chopping it up for an hour on a variety of topics. So let's get to it. Here is my sit down one-on-one long form podcast chat with Bruce Ras. He's Bruce Rasmussen. I'm Nick Bonds, the off season and Rass... A lot of people are sitting at home and watching Netflix and doing nothing right now. I'd have to imagine you can't necessarily just totally shut off because you probably got a million things going on right now. My job has changed dramatically
1: in the last couple of weeks as a result of COVID-19. Uh, uh, A big part of my job is reaching out and really touching other people, and not necessarily physically. There are a lot of different ways to touch, but, you know, you talk about our student athletes, our coaches, our season ticket holders, our corporate sponsors, our donors, uh, people on campus, and you have to change completely the direction in terms of what you are doing. So, first of all, we've made sure that we communicate with our student-athletes. And communication is speaking and listening. (laughs) And what I found, whether it's with our athletes or whether it's with our donors or people that you know, that they want to know what's going on at Creighton, but they also want you to listen to what they're going through on their end. And so the communication has changed. Uh, I think there's a lot more verbal communication. But with our athletes, you know, it's when you think, I mean, when you are an athlete, you're wired to every day get up, and say, what am I doing today to be better than I was yesterday? And your focus is on your sport. Your focus is obviously has to be on academics, has to be on physical and mental well-being. Uh, but all of a sudden you're asked as athletes to switch directions. And so we're concerned about them. We want them to know that we care about them, that it's it's an un- unprecedented yeah. thing in their lives. But. That we care about their physical well-being. We care about how are they doing academically. Academics is so much different. Sure. You know, one of the reasons that I've always felt Creighton was had a great academic environment because there was a personal nature to the academics. Your class sizes were small. You had a relationship with your professor. You had more dialogue back and forth uh, because you didn't have 600 people in a lecture hall. So there was a lot more interaction. And I thought that's what set us apart, the personal nature of the academics. All of a sudden, that's completely changed because now everything's online. How do your players adjust to that? Where with a lot of our players, we had oversight. On a daily basis, academically, now how are they adjusting to being online, to being away from campus? So, so that's a concern of ours. Their yeah. mental health, right? You know, how are they doing mentally? How are they adjusting to this? You know, the, you're a member of a team. Mm-hmm. It's a family. It's close. You have great relationships. All of a sudden, you don't see those people every day. Right. And so that's something
0: that they've got to adjust to. So yeah. I've I've thought a lot about what it would have been like if I was still playing. And you, people got to realize that a lot of these athletes, they have their whole day and week structured. Mm -hmm. You got class here, you got weights here, you're going to eat at this time, you're going to practice at this time. And all of a sudden, structure gets thrown out the window. And then, like you said, you're addicted to... Like I don't know how you're keeping keeping a guy like Mitch Ballack out of the gym. Yeah, like he wants to get in and shoot. That's got to be really really challenging. Have you have you been able to talk to any of the players on how they're yeah. kind of dealing with it? Well, Mitch is still it's a good example. Mitch is still in
1: town, uh, and uh, he comes into the gym. You can come into the gym yeah. on your own. Mitch is in every morning, (laughs) and you say it is an addiction. It's totally addiction. But it's a difficult situation for them because a lot of our athletes don't have a place to go. Right. Wherever they are, fitness centers are closed, high schools are closed. You know, if you don't have an outdoor court somewhere, if you're basketball, but what do you do with baseball or what do you do with soccer and so forth? So it's a difficult adjustment for our athletes. And, yes, we've had a lot of conversations with them, but it also – causes them to stop and really look at your perspectives too. You're not just a soccer player. You're not just a baseball player or a basketball player. So what else do you do now? Can you do where you're taking less time, you have less structure, can you... Reach out to your friends more, can you interact with your family more? Do you appreciate what you had more instead of I have to go to weights, I have to yeah. go to class, I have to go to practice?
0: You appreciate you're the so value right. of those things. You're so right. All the things that you everybody sits when they're super busy and they go, God, I just wish I could go home and do nothing. Yep. I wish I could, I, I wish I could just have a day where I could just watch Netflix all day and lay on the couch. Well, you find out a couple of days of that, and you're starting to kind of itch to get yep. back into it. But we did get a question from Dave that I do want to ask you. And you, the answer probably is, I don't know. But based on some of your conversations with other university presidents, athletic directors, when you try to look to the fall yeah. and think about sports and how all this stuff's yeah. going to work, I guess, what have those conversations been like? Because this thing changes almost every day. Yeah.
1: Well, first of all, it, and it, your point about it changing, how fluid it is. Think back to four weeks ago. Yeah three weeks ago, two weeks ago, even a week ago. So you can spend too much time projecting out a month or two months or three months or six months. You have to do it, but there has to be a balance and you have to also worry about the now. What are we doing right now? What are we doing for the next two or three weeks? Because if we spend a lot of time worrying about what's going to happen in August and September and October, then we're going to lose out on the opportunities that we have right now. And right. we also lose out a little bit on the appreciation of what we've accomplished. You know, people spend time, saying, well, what if we'd have had the men's basketball tournament? What if we'd have been able to uh, you know, be a, a two seed and play in St. Louis or whatever? you lose the focus of, wasn't what we accomplished this year tremendous? But athletic directors, presidents are looking down the road, which we have to. And what we find in athletics is, first of all, no matter what our goals are, no matter what our vision is, either as an individual athlete or as a team or as an athletic department, we can't get anywhere near where we need to get Without a number of people going beyond their jobs and families and making a commitment to us, where are our revenue streams? Okay, season tickets. Okay, that's a family. that That's not a necessary expense. Uh, so you've got families that maybe aren't working. You've got families that their whatever they had in the bank account's worth a lot less. Mm-hmm. And so, what are when they have to make? Difficult decisions on where they're going to spend their money. When you can watch our games, if they occur, you can watch them on TV. Will they make the expense of buying tickets? What about our j organization, which we get about $15 million. We have a $30 million a year budget. $15 million of it comes in in donations right. a year. Can those people make a similar commitment? And what do we have to do if they don't? What about corporate sponsorships? What about NCAA revenue? What about Big East revenue? Athletic directors have to look at all those things and say, okay, we can't spend a lot of time on this, but we can't be ignorant either and say we're just not going to deal with it. And so we're spending a lot of time on strategic planning and what ifs. And hopefully we look back a month from now or two months from now and say, "You know this was a blip. We grew as a result of it we we got a we have a better idea of where sports fits in society, where sports fits in our lives. We have a better idea of what's most important, and let's not let the things that are most in, least important get in the way of things sure. that are most important, but we're having all those discussions, and it's
0: scary, yeah yeah the- What was your reaction to the decision for the spring athletes being able to keep a year of eligibility and what went into that?
1: Well, first of all, I think it was it was a necessary. I think I would have been extremely disappointed if they would have said no. Right. Uh, Because as a former athlete, you're a former athlete especially for those seniors. It's your last year. It's your last chance for a lot of our athletes. It's their last chance to compete. They're not going on to play professionally. So to take that away from them was difficult. To give them an opportunity to come back is a humane thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It causes some additional expense for us, but our priority should be, first of all, our student-athletes, student-athletes and student-athlete welfare. So we'll figure out a
0: way. Right. Uh, One thing I was thinking about, and I'm just, you know, since I'm always immersed in in the men's basketball program, in some ways it's a blessing for this recruiting period that Creighton's got a lot of guys coming back, that they don't have five, six scholarships to fill because that'd be really hard because now you're seeing something, I read something about a virtual visit where you're basically having to like FaceTime guys around campus, but the coaches are still having to recruit What's that world looking like trying to recruit when people can't come and set foot on campus?
1: Well, as you know, I've always said this about recruiting. Recruiting's like shaving. Any day you don't do it, you look like a bum. <laughs> like me. Like, like you. me. But or it's me. okay right now. Or me, right? or me. Yeah, I didn't yeah, I shave today. <laughs> but so but you have different buckets. Right. So you have a graduate transfer bucket. Okay, graduate transfers look at us, and they—you'd think there'd be—they'd look at it and say, "Boy, here's a great opportunity for us to maybe be a top ten team all year and really do great things in the in the NCAA tournament next year." But they also look at playing time. They're going, "Wait, wait a minute, okay, what about undergraduate transfers?" There's. Uh, There's a proposed legislation that one-time transfers can transfer one time and be eligible immediately. That's been delayed. So you don't know whether that's going to be the case or not the case. And depending upon your situation as a coaching staff, you take one side or the other. (laughs) So if you want kids and need kids to be eligible immediately, you're saying, hey, no matter what, if you transfer, you'll be able to play immediately. And if you're a as a program that needs kids to sit out for a year and develop because you have a lot coming back you're telling them oh no right. you're not going to be able to transfer you're going to have to sit out a year and boy it'd be great to come to our place right so you have that bucket okay you still have some high school kids that are unsigned you have that bucket and then you've got cl- you know classes of 21 22 23 that you're recruiting so there are a number of different buckets and it's four star coaches to really focus more on the next year where we lose a lot of seniors That's after right. next year. So, and then it's awkward because a lot of the conversations, you want them to be personal. Either they come onto your campus officially or unofficially, or you go and meet with them where there's so
0: many voices in these kids' ears right now that you don't have control over. Yeah, I, I was thinking about recruiting. And you and I have talked about this a little bit. Creighton's moved to the Big East, in particular with basketball, there's no question that it's allowed Creighton to recruit a higher caliber of athlete. Yep. And I can't tell you how many times when I was playing for, for Coach Altman, there were oftentimes I was the guy that hosted a lot of guys yep. on the official visits. Yep. And I remember talking to so many recruits, and they'd have a handful of maybe Missouri Valley offers, maybe a Horizon League offer, and then they had that one Big 12 offer, yep. that one Big 10 offer. Yep. And so many times... Creighton checked all the boxes, but they wanted to go play in that yep. bigger, better league. Yep. It's, it does feel like the, the move to the Big East has allowed for that to get taken off the table. And so Creighton's starting to land Tyson Alexander, Marcus Segorowski, yep. Mitch yep. Ballock. And it's huge.
1: And it, and you've touched on two real key areas in recruiting. And one is you're wired as an athlete. And it isn't just men's basketball. You go across the board. You want, you want to compete against the best. And you were right. It was frustrating when we were in the Valley because we had a good fan base. We had a great coaching staff. We developed players. We graduated players. We were successful. We were in the NCAA tournament every year. But a lot of athletes didn't choose to come to Creighton Because they wanted to play against the best, they want to be in a league where you played against the best. The other part that we're finding is if we get kids and their families on campus, we have a much better chance of getting them because they see Omaha... And Omaha is different than their perception. They see Creighton and Creighton's campus and our facilities and our environment and our culture is different than what they expected. And so to be able to get kids on campus and now to be in the Big East and play in one of the better conferences gives us a much better chance to get a better caliber of athlete and still retain the culture that we thought was important to us. Speaking of recruiting,
0: One of the things, I'm not so sure the defining trait of Creighton basketball over the years hasn't been finding the diamonds in the rough that explode. You know, Kyle Korver, Nate Funk, Doug McDermott, Anthony Tolliver, the list goes on and on. That's kind of been the calling card for this program. What What do you attribute that to? Well, I, I attribute
1: it to two or three things, and I think first of all, it's we have we have had since I've been athletic director coaching staffs that are great teachers of the game. Yeah, and so what they and what great teachers do is they you have a line which is your potential and a line which is your performance, and they narrow that gap as much as possible because their their concern is you individually you're not here to serve the coaches, the coaches are here to serve you. And so in serving you, I'm going to try to get you to narrow that gap as much as possible. And I am more effective at that if I am a great teacher. So we've had not just head coaches, Dana Altman's a great teacher, Max, great teacher, but coaching staffs that were good at taking you and working on what you needed to work on. I think that is number one. Number two is Creighton has a way as a university of filtering out those people that aren't great learners. Right. Because you come on campus and you find out about the academic culture, the personal nature of the academics, and if you're not motivated to be a learner, you go somewhere else. Yes. And then I think third is, is the culture. And uh, uh, Josh Stotzler gave me a book a few months ago called The Goldmine Effect. And it really talked about areas of the world in which the, the athletic performances are much better than the population would indicate. So most of your great distance runners come from Kenya. Yep. You think Kenya's got millions of people, but those distance runners come from a very small area there. And, uh, I mean, you can take hockey. You can t- I mean, they took women's golf in South Korea and so forth. And their bottom line was this. It isn't the facilities, and it really isn't necessarily that you have freakish athletic ability. It's your attitude. Yeah. And we hire, and a good lesson for me is I hire a lot of times based on somebody's job description on their talents and on their skills. Those that don't work out, it isn't they didn't have the talent. Right. It isn't they didn't have the skill. It's they didn't have the right attitude. Now, you take that to athletics and you say, okay, we've had some freakish athletes that that didn't really perform anywhere near what you thought they should. And we've had some people, Doug, Doug McDermott's a great example. We talk a lot about what Doug accomplished. We don't talk enough about why. Yeah. Why right. did he do what he did? Because his attitude was off the charts. Uh, Grant Gibbs' attitude off the charts. And so when we look at recruiting that has to be a part of it, not just how fast can you run, how high can you jump, how much can you bench press, you know, what your skills are, sure. but what's your attitude. Right. And our coaches have done a, a nice job of recruiting to the culture and having kids who have that attitude of saying, I want to get better individually. I want to get be a part of a team that gets better. And when you look at the Kyle Corvers, Anthony Tollivers, Doug McDermott's, you go right down the list, those Kids that narrowed that gap as much as possible all had
0: an attitude before they came here that was developed as a result of being here. And the other thing, and I remember asking Doug this question. You bring up, you know, Tolliver, Korver, Doug, and we bring up those guys because they're in the NBA. They're very identifiable. Their giant pictures are hanging in the practice facility. The importance of, another thing I would talk about is, is hope and inspiration that someone that sat in the same seat you're in achieved what you want to. Like Doug said, Kyle doing what he did fueled him because it it made him feel like, Hey, it's possible. So that's the other thing is like the, it's success breeds success too. So even the guys that come in, they got to be right here. But if it's, but if that path is there, they're more apt to go on that path. I I think that's a great point. You have to have that
1: example. You think you're working hard, then you got Ryan Sears, you got Johnny (laughs) Klein, you got whomever and you're going, okay, right. There's a different level of going hard, but that brings up another point that we miss a lot and it's more hidden. And it's, it's a great example of where we are today in society, but, The teams that I've seen at Creighton that I thought came the closest to narrowing that gap, to reaching their potential, had people not in the spotlight that determined the culture and the attitude of practice every day. Those kids that came to practice, they weren't receiving a scholarship. They weren't going to be in the spotlight. They weren't going to be on the floor. They rarely got on the floor. And yet every day they came for the love of the game. And they work their tails off. And it's a good lesson for us. But And Coach Altman and Coach McDermott are two that are great at that, making everybody on the team recognizing the value of everybody on the team. Right. And really those kids that do the scout, the scout team, the scouting report, how many times in the locker room after a game do they talk about, hey, we won this game because these kids did a great job with the scouting report. All the time. And uh, so – I think today we're seeing right now there are people in the spotlight because of COVID-19 but think about the people not in the spotlight the people that are going to the hospitals that are going to work that are exposing themselves every day and or working paycheck to paycheck but the success of covid are our attack on COVID-19 will be dictated more by those, the faithfulness, the loyalty, the dedication no of those not in the spotlight right. than those in the spotlight.
0: No doubt. I i wanted to, I, as I was driving in to, to do this, I was thinking about just wanting to pick your brain on some Creighton basketball stuff. We've, we've obviously talked about the stars. Yeah. Is there a guy over the course of 20, 25 years of Creighton basketball that you feel like was just is underrated, underappreciated. I'm sure there's a couple of guys that come to your mind. Is there a, a, a player or two that you were like, man, that guy doesn't? He's not in the the first two or three names yep. people talk about. But man, yeah. those these dudes were really, really good players. Well, and a couple of these obviously have gotten a lot
1: of credit, but Ryan Sears was always underappreciated. Yeah, I mean, from the time he came on campus, and you know, in the pickup games, you got. Five against five, and you play to a certain number, and then whoever wins stays, and somebody else goes out. Oh. Ryan Sears never sat out. <laughs> if you put Ryan with four chairs, he was going to win. His team was going to win. But I mean, I think back to the Danny Colders and Johnny Kleins and Mike Lindemanns, yeah, and Lindy even even when I first came to Creighton, Gary and Glenn McCracken, the McCracken yeah. twins, under Tony Baroni, were there every single day. And I think about those kids, you know that that really. A lot of people never knew their name. They wouldn't have picked them out of a lineup, right. and yet they came to practice every day, and it was for the love of the game, and they made kids execute and practice. Right. We don't have the depth of talent. You know, you go to a North Carolina or Duke, their second team, and, and if they got 15 kids, you know, six through 15 are pretty good. Okay? At a Creighton, a lot of times, 10 through 15. You know, maybe are Division Two, II, Division Three, right. uh type players, but their love of the game, their passion, their attitude towards the process is what sets them apart and what really helps those kids that are talented
0: develop. Right. Give me a moment when you maybe watched Greg McDermott at Wayne State or Northern Iowa that the first time you went, that's a good coach. That guy's really good and, and he eighties always talk about they got to have that list in their yeah. head of yeah. if, a, if a, yeah. a spot opens up, you're ready to go. Do you remember a time and maybe what was it about Greg McDermott that you immediately thought, that guy's a pretty good coach right there? Well – I watched him. I was
1: aware of him when he was a player because okay. he went to Northern Iowa. I was a Northern mm-hmm. Iowa grad, and then I followed him. He was at Wayne State in Nebraska, and the people I knew in that area talked about the relationship that he had with his players. His players mm-hmm. loved him. He they were family, and everybody says, "Welcome to the family," yeah. you know. But it's not everybody not everybody lives it. Yeah. That's why forty two percent of the kids that enter. Division One basketball as freshman or someone or else by their junior year, yeah so this isn 't the guy that recruited me sure <laughs> This sure. isn 't what I yeah. thought well, but so I was uh, taken aback by the comments from people in that part of the state that said this guy, the players love playing for him, the people in the community love him he 's doing a great job with what they have, and then when he went to to the Dakotas, and then when he I, I mean I first recognized him when he was in northern Iowa because he would adjust to the talent that he had, but he also would adjust to the talent that you had. So Kyle tells this story. We played Northern. Mac was coaching there. He face guarded Kyle the entire game. Now we got beat by 30, but I think <laughs> Kyle had like five or six points and <laughs> Kyle's going, dude, what are you going to quit doing this? We're, we're beating you by 30. Right. Right. <laughs> but Mac, it was, I'm here to serve you. Right. And instead of you adjust to me, I'll take your strengths, I'll take your talents, and I will adjust what I do. So there were teams he had that played slow, that Mm -hmm. were very deliberate, uh, that played like Virginia. There were teams that he had that played very quick. There were teams that pressed, there were teams that really didn't put pressure on you, it was based on Mm -hmm. your talent. But the other thing that I noticed about him that I think that we really miss today, and this generation of kids, we say you play basketball, you play soccer you play volleyball there has to that play there has to be an element of joy to the process there has to be an element of fun because you can't develop to the level that you need to develop to be successful if you're just going to practice And if you're going to practice with the attitude, I just need to want, I just just got to get through through this. Yeah. Yeah, Let me get through this. Let me get to this. Let me get to the day off. Whatever. You need to go to practice to find out what you need to work on. And so you need to be able to get in the gym on your own and you need to have that enthusiasm. And our kids get in the gym on their own. They wouldn't do that if they didn't enjoy the process. They right. wouldn't do that. They come to the offices. They wouldn't do that if they didn't like being around the coaching staff. And I think that's what's helped us in the development of players. But Mac is, I think, the best coach. And I had an opportunity when I was on the men's basketball committee to watch closed practices, both when I went to watch a team play and then in the tournament. You, you yeah, had sure, to oversee you the closed yep. practices. And... I don't, I have not seen a coach who does a better job of being demanding in practice, but still having that element of fun and of joy than coach Mack.
0: Yeah. And that's a hard balance because it is a hard, you know, to, to, to be demanding, to be demanding, but also know that, Hey, I got your back and I love you. That's a hard, because some, because some coaches can't do both, you know, and they become too buddy, buddy and they don't hold them accountable or vice versa. The thing that, struck me when you were talking there is like, one of the things I take away from, from that is you never know who's watching you. Yeah. You know, to Greg McDermott, Greg McDermott didn't know eventually his path would end up at Creighton, but it's important. It's just like, in terms of like a lesson that you, you're always auditioning. You're all people are always watching. People are always observing how you're interacting, all that, all those kinds of things. And so it's just important to always remember that. Yeah, it's a a great point. And, you know, there were people that criticized
1: me uh, when we hired Mac. Well, the process went so fast. I mean, didn't you look at other people? Yeah. And my response and. There was a mistake in my response, but my response was he interviewed for the job for 19 years. That's I've been it, watching him for 19 it. years. Yeah. But then I introduced him as Doug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it happens. And it happens. I'd like to welcome our new men's basketball coach, Doug McDermott. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we had an old Chicken Nick show. We had a lot of fun with, uh, with, that, with that clip. We certainly didn't let that one go. But uh, you were just foreshadowing that Doug would become the. One of the greatest and most decorated yeah. college basketball players of all time. <laughs> uh, what do you think it is with – because I've, I've gotten to know Greg McDermott really well, being around him for 10 years yeah. now, and I've played for Dana Altman. They're, they're – they're, they have some similarities, but they're different at the same time too, and yet they yield similar results. Yeah. What do you give me, give me your like, hey, they're different here, they're the same here. Yeah. What do you think it is?
1: Well, first of all, it shows you that there are a lot of different ways yes. to get to the same result. Yep. You have to coach to your personality. Coach Altman's personality, was, I mean, you know all the phrases. Okay. Bend your knees, no <laughs> style <laughs> points. Come on, fellas, 10 up, 10 down. But right. Dana had a way of teaching, and the players knew he was all in. And I think that's what's maybe the most important aspect of a coach because coaches ask players to be uncomfortable every day. And it sounds like an oxymoron, but to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Could you go to practice, and the good coaches say this, what are we going to do individually today, and what are we going to do as a team to be better than we were yesterday? That's why we're practicing, boys. Okay, yep. What are we doing today to be better? You need to be uncomfortable in order to be better. But 18- to 21-year-olds cut through the crap pretty quickly, and you can ask that of them. But if you're not asking that of yourself, then – there's going to be a disconnect. Right. Players always knew Dana was all in. Yes. Players always knew Mac was all in. That's what they had in common. They were great teachers. The individual was important. And they knew that they were not asking, any, players knew, they were not asking anything of you that they didn't ask of themselves. Totally. But in, also in today's age, and another thing with Coach Mack is, and we're finding it out right now, in order for us to be successful, we've got to have people buy into the program. And for your fans to buy into the program, to put 17,000 people in the building, to raise $15 million a year in donations, there has to be a connection between the coach and those people right and mac is great in the community he is unbelievable in terms of relationships everybody's important he thinks more about them than him dana was more private he was more of a hermit personality wise but he also was very focused and it wasn't i gave it my best shot it was fellas we'll find a way yeah right yeah and that was where that was maybe his biggest strength was we'll find a
0: way yes hey guys quick break to talk to you guys about Pella windows and doors you know putting in a new door new set of windows it's really exciting but let's be honest it can be a little intimidating because sometimes you don't even know where to begin well let me help you out first of all you got to go with Pella duh and with Pella there are a couple of directions you can go to start number one you can schedule a free in-home consultation that's right free you'll get a Pella expert to come out, sit down with you, look at your home, and then they're going to be able to get a Greg McDermott-esque game plan for you that fits your budget, your wants, and your needs. That's one direction. Or, number two, you can head out to the showroom. Showroom is fantastic, man. It's really cool. Uh, Sometimes it really helps to actually see the window and see the door and, and, you know, Open it and close it to get a much better understanding and feel of exactly what you're going to be putting into your home. So the showroom is also a great place to start as well. Bottom line, any direction you start with, just know that Pella has a variety of products and can 100% provide window and door solutions to any home and you're going to be working with great people the entire time. Give Pella a call. 402-493-1350. That's 493-1350. Check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. Back to my conversation with Creighton Athletic Director, Bruce. Rasmussen,
1: Max, one of Mac's greatest strengths is his relationship with people. He's the best relationship person. I've learned a lot from Coach Mac about that. And I learned a lot from Dana in terms of, don't tell me you gave your best effort. Find a way. Right. Yes. And so while they've had similar success and while they're different, they're
0: alike in some ways. Yeah, too. I think both guys are, one of the things that jumps out at me, they're both extremely authentic in who they are. There's no phoniness. There's no, you know, that's why Dana yeah. can, you know, he can appeal to Dane Watts, Warren, Warrensburg, Missouri. Yeah. He can appeal to DeAnthony Bowden yeah. and everybody in between. Yeah. And and then Coach McDermott is, is very authentic. The other thing yeah. too with them too is, and this kind of goes hand in hand, I think they're both really, really good talent evaluators. Yes. And I think yeah. that starts with they yeah. know exactly what they want to yeah. do and who can yeah. do that. Yeah. I think that's one of the more underrated things with both guys is they are really good at at spotting who talent and who they like.
1: And their definition of talent. Yeah. Because it isn't just how fast do you run? How high do you jump? You know, it is what do we need in order to be successful? And we need this particular skill set and this particular attitude. Bobby Knight said that his definition of talent was those people that found out what they needed to do. And they did it that way all the time. Yeah. He said those are the most talented people. But both of them too are are tremendous loyalty people. Mm-hmm. That they have a great loyalty and trust of you. And even when you mess up, there's a loyalty. They'll right. let you know you mess up, but there's also a loyalty to say basketball's a game of mistakes. Sure. Okay. Players make mistakes. Coaches make mistakes. Officials make mistakes. Let's learn from these
0: mistakes. Let's not repeat these mistakes. Do you think, uh, or what, because we got a couple of questions asking us about, uh, you know, best, greatest Creighton basketball game, most memorable Creighton basketball game. (laughs) Is there one that when you sit back and think that that stands out above the rest. I mean, we might have had one just a couple of weeks ago yeah. that could end up being at the top, the yeah. scene hall game. But.
1: see, I don't get into that as much because uh, you know, you time, I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. So <laughs> you know, sometimes you forget the the experience you had in like year one or year. My first year at crate 1980, 81 was Tom Apke's last year. And uh, I mean, that was a very good basketball team. And then, you know, you, you go through the years and you think about, I mean, obviously the Seton Hall game was, was a very emotional, very high intensity, very well-played game against a potential Final Four team. It yeah. wasn't just that we won that game right. to get a share of the Big East Championship. It was we beat a team that really could very easily have been to the Final Four. Absolutely. And we played well and we dominated them. It was at home. There was emotions. I remember the first Big East game we played against Marquette on a New Year's Eve. Yeah. But you think back to we had a bracket buster game that was like at 11 o'clock at night. The attitude was unbelievable. So I, I, I don't have, I don't like to compare those. Sure. They're all big, different in their big, own. Big, but yeah, it just, what, it, what not being able to have games causes you to do is to reflect okay. on how fortunate I've been in my position to have really a front row seat to college basketball right. and so many great games and so many great young men and coaches over the years,
0: you know. You bring up the the word coaches. Coach Gibbs yeah. is is now coaching for the Oklahoma City Thunder G League team. Yeah. I can't wait to see where he ends up yeah. going as a coach because yeah. you saw it, and we talked. We've talked like yeah. he had a basketball mind that was different. Yeah. And it showed up in how he's played. And like he's a guy that I think in a couple of years, whether he stays in the NBA or goes back to college and coaches, I just think the future is really bright for that guy. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because
1: we talk a lot about vision, you know, and there's a difference between look and see. Yeah. Okay. Everybody looks out and they're they're looking at the same thing, but people see it differently. Yeah. And Grant saw the game frame by frame, but he saw things that are not observed by other people on the floor. And so, you know, like I remember as a coach, when we'd stop practice and you'd say, you're supposed to be here, not here. And the players would go, no, I I was where I supposed to be. Well, you stop, film doesn't lie. (laughs) But you go back and you watch some of the plays that Grant made and you watch him in practice and he saw things that others didn't see. And you'd go back and look at film and go, how did he see that? You know, he, he he threw Doug open, if that's the, the right phrase yeah. to use. You know, some people will throw you the ball if you're open. Right. And he not only threw it to you, the right person when they were open, he threw you open. Sure. He knew where, how, and when to throw Doug the ball. Right. And he got it to him in the right spot. You know, passers today, passing's an underrated skill. Oh. But people are neighborhood passes. Passers. Well, I threw it to you. Well, if you're a three-point shooter and you're open and you catch it down here, yeah. your shooting percentage is not going to be the same right. as if you catch it in the shooting pocket. Right. Grant was an unbelievable passer, not just because he threw the ball in the right place, but he knew when, where, and how to throw the ball. Yes. And he made all five kids better. And he's got that. I. If, if you have that vision as a player, you have that vision as yeah. a coach.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to understand passing to me is about uh, – instincts and then the understanding of if I do this, this happens to the defense, you know, like, and he knew that really well. If I take it down here and look here, that's going to draw this defender so I can throw it opposite. And so you you have to be almost playing chess to steal that analogy. Yeah, And he did that at such a high level. It was just, we were talking before I, I stumbled upon the Creighton, Nebraska game. Doug McDermott senior year, Gibbs senior year and I'm watching him play and of course Doug's making Doug's making all these yeah. crazy shots yeah. and these fadeaways yeah. but I found myself just blown away at Gibbs and the manipulation of the defense yeah. to hit to yeah. get guys open is yeah. amazing.
1: He's a Tom Brady.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean you look at what Brady does
1: and they talk about that that was Grant Gibbs but and he also had the ability to know that the situation of the game dictated what he was going to do. So, obviously, Doug's an All-American. He could have passed it to Doug every single time down the floor. Sure. But he distributed the ball well and made everybody a part of it. But when the game was on the line, it's like, you know, you're in a war now. I'm firing the cannon. No question. We're not shooting the water pistol. I'm going to the cannon. (laughs) And uh, so, but he, he just had that instinct of knowing that, the situation in the game, the timing of the game, I'm not just throwing the ball to Doug. I'm right. throwing it to everybody. But in certain situations, it's only going to Doug. It's only getting to him. Because <laughs> he knew – the
0: other thing, too, with why I think he's going to be a good coach is th- there. he's not the first guy that has that kind of passing yeah. instincts, but – a lot of people can't explain it. Yes. He, I think, he's also a really good communicator. Like, he'll be able to tell a point guard why and see this. You know, so I think he's going to be really good. Do you remember what – I just think it's always – you can never talk about Doug enough. Do you remember a game that you walked away going, oh, boy, this guy might be not just kind of good. This guy might be, like, all-time elite – was there any game that, that stood out to you that to, to, you, you walked away going, oh, yeah. man.
1: And it's a game that a lot of people didn't see. We were playing at Missouri State, and he got going. And I think, was Lusk coaching at he, Missouri State at that time? Was he not? It, Conzo, oh, Conzo, Conzo okay. Martin. It was Conzo. But, Martin. But, I mean, yeah. Doug is hitting <laughs> step back, fall away. falling out of bounds on the baseline, yeah. and they're going in. And when he finally missed a shot, He got a standing ovation from the Missouri State
0: fans. Yeah, I remember that game. It was, for me, there was, I think there was a snowstorm in Peoria. And something happened where Creighton had to, they either got snowed in or whatever, but Creighton's playing Bradley. And he had 44 as a sophomore. And he was 18 of 23 or 18 of 21 and to, like, one was a one miss was a late shot clock, had to just heave one up. Yeah. And one was he missed a layup and then got yeah. the rebound and put it back yeah. in. So, basically, he scored 44 yeah. points. And for all intents and purposes, didn't miss a shot. And I, I'll never forget the official Kip Kissinger was, was yeah. repping the game. <laughs> and I'm doing the radio. And after Doug hit one of his, you know, early on in his career, he was more of a back-to-the-basket yeah. guy. Then yeah. He hit one of his... You know, almost like he never even looked at the basket, but the ball touched his hands and he flips it up to get him like yeah. 40. And Kip kind of trots by me, takes his whistle out of his mouth, and he goes, yeah. He said, "Wow." And and you know those officials, they they kind yeah. of they see a million games or yeah. on the next one but for yeah. him to go in the moment, this this is special. I I'll, I'll never forget that one.
1: And he he was an anomaly in a lot of ways too because so many of your better scorers have to dominate the ball. The yeah. ball has to be in their hands so much, you know, they shake and bake and yep. but yeah. Doug didn't have the ball that much. No. He wasn't necessarily a volume shooter and he certainly didn't dominate the ball in terms of having it and dribbling it and taking time the number of points he scored for how
0: few of seconds he had the ball amazing in the game it, was amazing. Yeah, he he's I I'm sure there are numerous games where he could he took under 20 dribbles, yeah. 15 dribbles whatever yeah. it would be. I mean, he didn't he didn't need yeah. to pound it and massage yeah. it and all that stuff. He could catch, finish yeah. and move at an incredible yeah. incredible clip off yeah. the ball. Yep. It it was it was amazing. So we were supposed to ask him these questions on the, <laughs> the piece of paper. What are we what are we is there anything we want to uh <laughs> Tom wanted to know who the toughest player I ever had to guard. You know who the toughest player I ever to guard was? Nate Funk every day in practice. Oh boy. That's a guy that we probably don't talk about enough, too. He's one of the he's one of the dudes that I think gets, you know, because and listen, I mean Tolliver is my roommate and I love the guy, but like he gets yeah. talked about more because t- you know, Anthony's now gone on to the NBA, yeah. but Nate Funk was. Absolutely incredible. And you talk about one of the special games at
1: Wichita State. Wichita State was a top ten team. We go down there. The place, and it, you know, you've been there. It's noisy. It's off the sure. charts. I'm talking to their AD before the game, and he basically said, you know, uh, you know, you guys are playing pretty well. I think there's a chance you guys can keep it close today. Oh, you know, that's oh, what he okay. said before well, oh. the game. And uh, and. uh, uh They had the Defensive Player of the Year, I can't remember his name, but a dude that was about 6'6". I know what you're talking about. Uh, Jamar Howard. Yeah, Jamar Howard. And Nate Funk just ripped him. I think he had 42 or something. Nate was maybe as good a pure shooter as we've ever had. And you talk about Kyle. Now, Kyle shot with range, but Nate Funk could stop and pop he could get to the middle of the lane, and he was athletic enough. He could get up over people, but yes. he was
0: such a pure shooter. Oh, uh, his mid range, hard to guard. The, yeah, how do? It's really hard to stop if someone can go hard one, two dribbles and stop. Yeah. And he could, you know, he could hit a little. Yep. Doug had it in him too, yep. but he was impossible. Yep. You, there are a few guys you guard. And this is coming from a guy that was a below average defender as (laughs) Nate Altman was. You are hoping they miss. Like they're gonna get, they're probably gonna get to where they want to get to, and you're just gonna contest and hope that that they miss. Nate was one of those guys.
1: Yeah. He was incredible. Yeah. I I I don't I think you're underselling your defense. Am I underselling? Yeah. (laughs) I know Coach Altman used to say, Nick Ball, no D in his name,
0: no D in his game. (laughs) You know why we had to do we had to run a lot of matchup zone cuz I could talk I could tell yeah. you hey get that guy hang hey, that so I could I could do that but yeah he uh Coach Altman always, I was horrible at taking charges. I didn't have instincts for it. And, oh, that used to. I, the number one thing coach would get on me about in film and all this, he would bring yeah. me in and show me a play. Yeah. You got to slide over and take a charge, yeah. Bond, just would kill me. Yeah. Anytime I tried to take a charge, even if I didn't get it, he was yeah. elated.
1: But going back to Nate, Nate's a kid that I think could have played in the NBA for totally. a long time had he had the desire to do so. Yeah. But I'm not sure he had that desire. That it's number one amongst everything.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. And th- and you know what? That that's the, he was you know he was going he went overseas and was having a really good career. Yeah, yeah. But I remember talking to Nate and I think he he said he would be on Facebook and he would see pictures mm-hmm. of his friends yeah. tailgating at a football game yeah. or doing this and he'd go. I want to be doing that, yep. you know, and yeah. and that's fine, yeah. you know. There's there's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that. But he was a guy that, to me, could have easily stuck yeah. in the NBA if he if he'd have gotten if he'd gotten the opportunity yeah. and and yeah. and really gone all in yeah. on it.
1: Let me ask you a question.
0: Uh, you've
1: been asking me a lot of them, but uh, you're a, to say you're a rising star in the uh, basketball broadcasting business is really an understatement because it would assume that you're not there yet and while there's more to accomplish you're really looked at as one of the better basketball analysts in the that. country yeah and I think it's because you can explain the game you're not you don't just say this is what's happening, but you have an ability to explain why it's happening. But what have you found to be the biggest challenges in your new career in terms of broadcasting the game?
0: Yeah, you know, it's well, I appreciate you saying that. And what's funny about that is like and maybe this is probably good is to some people it would feel like, oh, Nick made it. I don't feel like I've made it, you know, and maybe that's good. So you, yeah. you keep on wanting to, to, to attack it. Uh, I think the, the thing that I think back to all the film sessions with Bill Self at Kansas and Dana Altman, and those film sessions are gold because they're explaining not just who and what, but why, why this is happening. And and sometimes I, I will go back and watch games and there are times where like Mitch Ballock will make like a, a 27 foot crazy tough shot and, my comment will be Kelvin Jones set an incredible screen yeah. that free and what, yeah. and I'm like, you know what, sometimes Nick, you need to give some credit to the guy <laughs> that, <laughs> that made just made the, the 27 <laughs> fade away. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think, uh, I think the the challenges are making sure that you are always giving each individual player Yep. And understanding their story as good as you possibly can, because I think you have to remember that these games mean a lot to these players yes. and you owe it to them yep. to know their story, yep. to know what makes them tick, understand how their season's gone yep. and tell their story. I've, I've, I had Jay Billis on my podcast, and I, I told Jay this story. So you remember Remember, College Game Day did Creighton-Southern Illinois my oh, yeah, senior yeah. year. <laughs> it was the worst I was game. There. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> I made a three with about 11 minutes left, and we didn't have another field goal until the last possession yep. of the game. So ratings were not high for that College Game Day game. But I'll never forget, Jay Billis made a comment during the game that Nick Ball may not be Creighton's most – talented player but he is arguably the most important player yeah and that meant a ton to me now think about a jay billis calls you know, 40, 50 games a year. This is one player in a random game at Creighton. Here I am 13 years later and I remember that. So I try to to make sure that that's something you got to know the players. It means a lot to them and know their stories. Well, there's an enthusiasm to
1: what you do. And what I appreciate is what you just touched on is that you were positively explaining what's going on in the game. And the announcers that rubbed me wrong, this is a former player and a former coach, are, that well, that was a horrible play by him. What was <laughs> yeah, he sure. thinking? And, sure. And basketball's a game of mistakes. Yeah. But there's so many, again, it's a lot of times the people not in the spotlight. We talk about the faithfulness, the loyalty dedication, the the great screen, the great pass, the great vision. Uh, and, but there's also an enthusiasm to it. But I remember that game. Uh, at Southern because also uh, their fans were there early and their student chants were pretty good. But as bad as the game was, Aaron Andrews was there.
0: Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yes, I know where this is going. You want me to tell the story? No, you go ahead to tell and tell it? it. Okay, so for people that don't know uh, – I don't know how that maybe you could explain some of the Creighton, some of the Creighton basketball players would get like an, a two week internship with the college world series yes. and ESPN. I don't know. I mean, just cause probably Creighton yeah. was involved or yeah. whatever. We were the host school, the whole so, school. So basically for two weeks, me and Pierce Hibma, and maybe a handful of Aaron Brandt did it one year with us. Jimmy Moats did it like every year. And you know, you go for two weeks and you're there all day and you know, you're running cable, you're doing this. One of my jobs was to clean the bases in between the games, you know. (laughs) And it did give you an appreciation of all that goes into a broadcast from behind the scenes. But anyway, so Aaron Andrews was a sideline reporter for ESPN Mm -hmm. doing the College World Series. And I was a budding broadcaster, and I thought I need to – approach Aaron Andrews and try to get contact information, you know, whatever. I'm trying yeah. to network here, Help, yeah. you know, you do know I mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that's what you call it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> call it what you want. Call it what you want. <laughs> it's
0: networking, all right? I, so I, I approached her during lunch one day and I, you know, explained, hey, I'm, my name's Nick Ball. I want to be a broadcaster. I'd, I'd love to be able to, you know, pick your brain, whatever. And so... I get like her email address and I think it was like fake email at gmail.com. You know, it's yeah. like, do not email. But yeah. anyway, so then here it is a year later, game day is doing Creighton Southern Illinois. And I knew Aaron Andrews was going to be there. And I thought, I wonder if she's going to remember me. And, you know, yeah. Coach Altman tells the story. I don't know if this is true or not, but I got up and showered before shoot around, and had, my, <laughs> had my hair done and all this stuff, you know, and, so we're shooting around at you know 10 o'clock in the morning whatever at uh, Carbondale Arena. And we're shooting, and Jay Billis is there, and Dan Shulman's there, and I'm kind of just looking around the gym, looking for, okay, when's Aaron gonna come? And then all of a sudden the door's open, and then Aaron Andrews <laughs> walks in, and I see her, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Is she gonna remember me? And her eyes kind of lit up, and she goes, Nick. <sighs> And I try to look at her and I go, hey, Aaron, right as that happens, Booker Wood fights, <laughs> fires a chess pass that hits me just dead square in the nose. Almost knocks me over. I got tears coming down my eyes. And she sudden she oh, are you okay? It knocked all the cool out of me in that, in that moment. And to this day, and I mean this. That was the hardest I've ever seen Dana Altman live. You know, he was, I mean, on a game day, I mean, it is game day. That guy is usually wild time. And it's Southern Illinois. He was sitting on the scorer's table. And Dana, Coach Altman like fell off the scorer's table and was dying. But yeah, that was was not a good moment for me. That's where I was
1: going. I was sitting next to Dana when that happened. I'll tell you a quick Aaron Andrews story, College World Series. Yep. I sat at lunch. I went to lunch with Aaron Andrews okay. and Jim Hendry, just the three of us. An hour later, my magnetic <laughs> personality, she couldn't have picked me out of a lineup. <laughs> it was her and Jim. I a, just, you I were, you I might as well have been, been a waiter. You could have been a waiter bringing yeah. butter.
0: <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. Jim, though, Jim's got such a big personality that he's going to own any table yeah. that he's yeah. at. Uh yeah that's uh that's that's funny that is so you're not so what what's do you get do you even watch netflix rest do you even watch any shows you seem like a guy that is like watching a basketball game watching a base like your sports or work like how
1: yeah what are you gonna do now and you develop habits there are about two or three tv shows i watch right my the younger generation you know my kids have netflix they have hulu they watch they binge watch a show or a series they don't want they don't see the commercials or anything sure they just binge watch them i i'm not a big tv guy right and, unless it's especially basketball but uh, there are a few shows i watch and lately we've been uh, watching a movie a night yeah and but again it shows the nerdiness in me because i wanted to I wanted to watch some of the movies that I'd never seen that were very highly rated movies. Yes. So um, uh, a couple nights ago, uh, we watched Pulp Fiction. Yep. Highly rated. Yeah, just somehow slipped through the cracks, never seen it. I watched the first half hour of that and shut it off. I'm going, I can't watch anymore of this. This is is, is stupid. This is awful.
0: So I I would not make a good film critic. Yeah. I was thinking about old classic movies. Do you think the guys on the basketball team now have all seen Hoosiers? That's a or good, do you think it's like, that's a general, it seems yeah. like that was a huge, that yeah. was the basketball yeah. movie.
1: You know, I don't know. I doubt uh, it. And I saw that survey the other day where they asked coaches, uh, and you may have seen it, your yeah, the favorite, show and, favorite yeah. TV show on your favorite movie. And I saw Shawshank a yeah. lot. And it's it's a great movie, but A movie along the same lines that precedes that that hardly a lot of people haven't watched is Papillon. Okay, I haven't seen it With Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. It's a prison movie. Okay. A lot of the same thoughts process. uh, Shawshank is a a copy of Papillon. So if you want to watch a movie. There we go. Get on, watch Papillon. There we go. I need to
0: do that. I need to. You know, it. when I first came to Omaha, I called Papillion. Papillon. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that Coach Alman in that story said that he watches Seinfeld. Yeah. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call BS on that. Yeah. I don't think Dana Alman ever watched Seinfeld. Yeah, that's a good. I but he had to give one. You gotta give an answer, yeah. right? <laughs> Basketball film is not yeah. is not a TV yeah. show. Well, Raz, this was great, man. This was yeah. fun. It was fun to catch up. Uh, you know, obviously, to the Creighton fans out there, you know, we're going to get through all this together. I mean, this is just a, a, a tumultuous, unprecedented trying time for everyone. Um, and it's going to be, it's, it's gonna be a, a tough couple of months here, but I'm, I'm confident we'll get through it. Well, I do, too. And, and this is a nice diversion from no what both
1: of us have to do. But I, I sent out to my staff a few days ago the Jim Valvano speech. You know, and where he says every day you need to do these three things. You need to think, need to laugh, and you need to be moved to tears. Yeah. If you do all three of those things each day, uh, then that's a pretty full day. It is. And when you think about what's going on now, I mean, there's so many things that are happening right now that move you to tears. There are so many things that are happening today that cause you to think and maybe think differently. But we also have to have that laughter as a part of it. And Absolutely. So hopefully, as, as uh, one of the things that this
0: accomplished was, maybe people got a laugh or two out of it. Uh, amen. I'm excited because uh, I've had to become Mava's preschool teacher. So I got <laughs> out of preschool today to come laugh with you. So thank you, Rev. I appreciate it. All right? Great. Thank you, Nick. You got it. All right. My thanks to Pella Windows and Doors. If you're thinking about a new window or a new front door, Now is the perfect time. Give Pella a call at 402-493-1350 or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. We will see you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. A Parkville Media Production.